Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Turf Football Podcast. We've just finished up with all the Champions League round of 16 games and it has been quite a heartbreak for some fans. Today, we are going to go over the four games that we witnessed and discuss and analyze what went wrong, what went right, what happened in the entire game. This discussion is important because there were a lot of big games and a lot of big names eliminated. There were also some really controversial goals scored and some controversial decisions given. So I think this comes as an analysis that is required right now uh, and we'll just be going straight into it. I think first up we have to discuss the biggest matchup I, uh, that I believe was in the round of 16 Manchester City versus Real Madrid. What do you think were the strengths that Real Madrid had at first because we, I think we'll need time to discuss their weaknesses and what went wrong later on. So Tushar. Alright, so just going into the game, one thing that I was confident about was Real Madrid's defense. Because although Sergio Ramos was missing, uh, Real Madrid's defense has proven itself time and time again in this season without him as well. Militao has been decent. Varane was like our best player of the season. If I had to choose one, I'd choose, choose Varane as our best player of the season. So I thought that Real Madrid's defense would uh, totally step up in this fixture. And unfortunately, that did not happen. Midfield has four Champions League finals in the last six years. So I would expect them to do better, but they were totally outclassed by Pep Guardiola and its men. Yeah, that is correct. So uh, they were essentially a big problem and a big hole left in uh, both uh, kind of overwhelming Manchester City's midfield and kind not making mistakes in your own half. I, I think both of which Real Madrid failed at quite often. However, was the attack good enough? Alright, so uh, first of all, talking about the Madrid defence, that why did uh, the defence uh, defense perform the way it performed? I think that Guardiola totally outclassed, uh, uh, Guardiola totally outclassed Zidane as Sharo said. Uh, he used the same tactics that he used in the first leg to... Uh, 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 make problems for Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid's defense. Uh, this uh, the, in the last game, it was Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne who played in the center as two false nines. This time, it was uh, Phil Foden and uh, De Bruyne was a bit deeper this time around. And uh, Jesus and Sterling were playing in the wings. So that uh, uh, attack was very problematic for Real Madrid's defense. They did not know who to mark. Because uh, De Bruyne and Foden were switching, uh, switching again and again. Jesus was coming in the center a lot. So it was like completely, uh, it was like complete disarray for the Real Madrid's defense. Uh, moreover, as you asked about how Real Madrid's attack performed, uh, so I think that like Real Madrid were totally outclassed in the midfield. So it was really difficult for us to carry the ball to our attackers. I think that our attackers did decently whenever they got the ball. Uh, they were still like no match for City, but they were not as bad as our defense was. Like they did create certain chances, and there were moments in which we thought that Real Madrid could net the ball in, and they even did once. So I think Hazard was like Hazard was completely invisible in the second half, but he was like decent in the first. 
uh, he was like moving the ball around taking it to benzema combining with him benzema was as good as good as he has always been he was coming back in the midfield and he also scored a brilliant goal rodrigo uh, had little involvement but the involvement that he had was beneficial for the team he did create a massive chance uh, which led to the goal and um, there is that continuing what tushar said in the first half the left side the left wing of real madrid was playing pretty well for the for 10 to 15 minutes it was the guard made a tactical change because manchester city while defending were playing with a double pivot in the midfield with uh, rodri and gundogan and so what zidane did was he brought cruz to the left back position and had mendy go forward with with eden hazard to kind of bombard kyle walker with two men and that's why they were continu- continuing attacks from the left hand side and then in the second half pep guardiola kind of saw that and had kyle walker from the le- from the right back pushed him to go towards like a defensive midfielder role while attacking so hazard would be deeper in to mark him and the left side would be with fewer men than it was in the first half adding to that the second half issue was also because like real madrid changed their formation uh, in the attack hazard came in center centrally benzema was switching from left to midfield so hazard in the center was completely isolated he had literally no output uh, he had literally no output he was not involved in any play and that is another reason why real madrid's attack completely fell apart in the second half yeah. i think one of the best supports for a central false nine like hazard um is the midfield and with midfield options in the likes of Ballon d'Or winner Modric consistent king Cruz and Casemiro you expect uh, more of the ball to be fed through these midfielders into the false nine and even the wings and i think that is also where uh, Real Madrid lacked severely maybe maybe playing a bit too deep to kind of cover up for the defense um, maybe maybe owing to the lack of uh, ramos maybe and I, i just think that it was not as organized as it could be against man city's free attack and i think that is exactly what you pointed out as being one of the downfalls uh however uh, we should also discuss uh, like seeing seeing this there were weaknesses in uh, man real madrid there were of course quite a few strengths that man city showed uh I think Man City's attack was phenomenal in uh, just having that free roam, knowing when to overlap, knowing when to make a run. They had some brilliant positions where they got the ball, and I think Gabriel Jesus has just been brilliant throughout the entire game. I think like uh, I would like to draw this parallel of Jesus with Suarez. All right, I think that uh, for the last couple of seasons they have been really similar players. uh they uh, bring out moments of magic uh but they have certain few bad touches in the game which completely ruins attacks and they both have been not as lethal finishing but what sets apart jesus from suarez is his pressing i think that jesus in the game against madrid was like completely brilliant his press was the reason that varane made those mistakes that he mistake uh, that he uh, did and i think that he led the city press brilliantly uh, that was the uh, like if i had to choose one reason why madrid lost this match I would say it was because of the unbelievable city press that they failed to handle. That city, the city press forced mistakes from Real Madrid's defenders. They were overloaded in the midfield, so they wouldn't have an option in midfield. And Phil Foden was kind of marking Casemiro for the first half, so they wouldn't have to pass inside and have Casemiro turn around and then pass through. So what they did was Sterling and Jesus were the only ones who were marking 
the defense, right? So Sterling, like, let's say he was on the right wing for the first half, he was marking the right center back when Varane had the ball and Jesus was free. So he was going charging in towards Varane and the only option he had was either pass to Courtois or he had to clear the ball. And then they were forcing mistakes because they, weren't, they, didn't, give them real, they didn't give Real Madrid many options from the defense and that is why Real Madrid panicked and had the goals conceded. Yeah, definitely the high press was detrimental to Real Madrid's formation and the way they were organized. And uh, that is something that uh, City is uh, quite known for, their high presses and their pressing uh, generally, which which are quite uh, apt at doing. Uh, I think overall, uh, we understand that there were, there were brilliant moments from Jesus who basically had uh, contributed to all goals scored in the fixture uh, followed by a, a great overwhelming press by Manchester City which led to mistakes by Real Madrid's defense especially by Varane and also a few mistakes that weren't actually capitalized on by Manchester City but were still there and something that was still notably seen. Uh, I believe the 2-1 was a fair result considering how Manchester City completely dominated the game and outclassed Real Madrid. Uh, it, it kind of shows on and cements Manchester City's position as an actual contender in this Champions League race. And it's it's going to be interesting to see them against an easy, as most people would call it, opponent in the uh, quarters. Right, so like Manchester City, you said that Manchester City had a lot of chances. That is so true. If they were like planning to shoot the ball more, then I am sure that Manchester City would have got at least four or five in this game. Like they were on top of Real Madrid in every single department. Better attack, defense and midfield. Uh, Also, a couple of great saves from Thibaut Kurtua, who has been again like instrumental to Real Madrid's success this season. He had a couple of brilliant saves. Also, one thing that we, one player that we actually need to point out and we like talk, we have talked about him a lot but he was again Kevin De Bruyne was like phenomenal he is like a terminator man he never he never sets a foot wrong so yeah I think Sharos could put more light on how, how instrumental Kevin De Bruyne was to Man City's game yeah, so Kevin De Bruyne actually had more chances created in the first half than the all of Real Madrid so he was switching positions with Spill Ford they were kind of a double false nine and that created so, how Real Madrid were pressing was, Cruz was going forward when the ball was in Manchester City's defense. The midfield came forward and their wingers, which were Hazard and Rodrigo, were shifting in the middle, right? So, what happened was, this created a kind of a hole between Real Madrid's defense and their midfield, to which Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden capitalized on. Yep, that is, that is exactly true. And that is why I think that Real Manchester City, because if Kevin De Bruyne keeps on playing like like this, then Manchester City would definitely uh, clinch this title home. Because like in the past three seasons as well, whenever we uh, whenever we have seen the games in which uh, like City uh, were eliminated, there have been the games in which the opposition have managed to stop Kevin De Bruyne to a certain extent. And he seems unstoppable now. I don't think so that any team currently like apart from like Bar Atletico Madrid. I don't think that there is any team which can stop Kevin De Bruyne. Yes, for sure. He'll be an interesting challenge for any team that faces him. And I think that kind of covers essentially all aspects of 
how the game was played out between Man City and Real. So we'll be moving on to the second game of that day, which was Lyon and Juventus. A disappointing result, to say the least, for most Ronaldo or Juventus fans, as they won 2-1 but failed to go through due to the away goal advantage. Personally, uh, I could see that the wings were not working for Juventus, but they kept trying to force the issue through the wings, and that was just not creating any output. What was good in their game, though, was the one man that, as we had talked about in the podcast as well, uh, and I hailed him as the savior of Juventus and the person who was going to put them through, Cristiano Ronaldo, who on several occasions was single-handedly dropping to midfield, getting the ball to the wings, and then coming up on attacks to actually be there for the cross which he just didn't get. Uh, so, I just feel like there wasn't a lot that Leon did right, especially considering uh, how that penalty was given under quite dubious circumstances. Was that really a penalty? Uh, I, I, I think that's a question that we need to be quite upfront about. Honestly, both the penalties of, this, uh, of that game were quite controversial. And... The only thing that got Lyon through in this game was that one goal they, uh, they managed to score at their own home ground. Here in this game, uh, the main problem Juventus uh, has been facing all throughout the season is their lack of midfield players. Uh, the situation was uh, so bad that their injured player, Tibala, who had a thigh injury, had to be subbed on for 10 minutes before he couldn't continue any longer and was subbed off once again. Uh, Ronaldo tried his best. He got a penalty which was again quite controversial, but he also scored a, a quite a banger of a goal and gave them some hopes that uh, they might be able to come back. But again, with the lack of uh, midfield, I don't think that Juventus deserve to go through anywhere. And their, their manager as well, who has been under quite some pressure all throughout the season, managed to win the Serie A. But let's face it, this is not some uh, tough league like the Premier League, which is uh, very difficult to conquer. So we cannot give uh, a lot of credit to Sari for that. Uh, what he failed manager, to do was, by the way. Oh yeah, sorry, ex-manager. Congrats to Pirlo for getting a promotion in just 10 days of managing their under-23 side. I hope they, he can bring about the changes that are required in Juventus right now. A 35-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo shouldn't be the man they are going to for winning them games. I get it, they bought him for, for that exact purpose, but let's face it, he's a 35-year-old. He can, he can only do so much and they need better players all around and they need a whole revamp in their team. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that at least some points. But, but I mean, to the more pressing issue, I did not see anything wrong with that Bonucci challenge. Like, I, I just failed to recognize how that can be a penalty when it was clearly... It, it took the ball away from the feet of the attacker and I think that was... That was the reason for their downfall because that gave them that gave Leon a early one goal lead, also followed by an away goal advantage, which was crucial in them qualifying as we have, as we can clearly see. Uh, I, I didn't see Leon actually threaten uh, as much afterwards. They, they weren't holding the ball too much. It was just inaptitude by the Juventus side to get into scoring positions and actually capitalizing because Juventus also missed quite a few headers uh, owing of course to Higuain not being in position or just not having a head uh, 
in some instances where he just left the ball and let it go past him or just had a weak shot at goal uh, essentially Quadrado as right back was probably i think a tactical decision to get more crosses in providing an overlap to Bernardeschi so that you could just have a c- crossing overload from the right and you know Ronaldo could get the chance and have have that brilliant head header of his which is quite known for the both power and accuracy to work its magic but that just did not happen as Quadrado and Bernardeschi just didn't seem to provide a uh, for the strikers although Bernardeschi had a moment of brilliance in the second half with a beautiful dribble and that that possibly could have been a goal but it was too short of an angle to actually score from and I think uh, it was a brilliant tackle from denier to deny Bernardeschi that goal overall I, I, I think Juventus kind of dominated the entire game but the penalty was definitely a deciding factor in their loss uh, in the and not qualifying thereafter so i i feel like uh, juventus should have done better and they could have possibly uh, because they were also lacking a key player in dibala but otherwise there was still a good game and it was sad to see them go out due to a controversial penalty right so just a couple of things that i would like to mention Definitely that penalty, like I cannot fathom that a referee, a, a like professional referee who has a monitor to view like the exact challenge and then he gives it as a penalty. Like it was as clear as day like that, that was not a penalty. Uh, moreover, I mentioned in the earlier podcast as well that I think that Leon is going to go through simply because there is only so much as Rakshit said that Cristiano Ronaldo alone can do. And that is exactly what happened. He had no support. Like if you even watch the highlights of the game. People, for the people who have not watched the game, 10 minutes highlight and you will only see Cristiano Ronaldo everywhere. He was the one winning the free kicks. He was the one taking those free kicks. He was the one taking the headers. He was the one shooting. It was like complete Cristiano Ronaldo show. Uh, so like, like really disappointed in how Juventus performed. They should have done, they could have and they should have done better as you mentioned. <clears throat> yeah, I think that kind of cover series was just a quite a disappointing and disheartening game especially not seeing someone I praised as much you know Dybala playing just because of an injury and ha- having to sub out right after he subbed, on, subbed in ha- had a pretty good chance uh, in through the corner and there was a missed header as well so it, it just seems it, it's just a disheartening result and I think we've kind of covered all that is to say about this game which was a one-man show which was Cristiano Ronaldo. But I will still have to add kudos to Ronaldo for that weak foot shot that you could just not believe. That was an absolute banger of a goal. And the uh, and the fact that he hit that from his weak foot is something that is incredible, especially at his age. Like Most strikers do not have that aptitude with both their feet and that's just a brilliant feat. Big foot, more like second strong foot. Yep, that is absolutely true. All right, moving on. I think uh, we'll be going on to the second day and covering the first whitewash of the day, which was Bayern against Chelsea, a four-one result that led to a seven-one aggregate against Chelsea. 
Chelsea were just completely outclassed in the entire match. Bayern just were so much the better side. And with a 3-0 lead, I I think as we all believed they would, they just completely thrashed Chelsea. But again, a 4-1 result in an individual match, keeping apart the 3-0 lead, is still a very bad result. What do we think went wrong in Chelsea's defence? Right. So, I would say that the result was like on completely expected lines. So, I predicted a 4-0 victory for Bayern Munich. Uh, Chelsea did manage to score a goal due to, a error, uh, due to an error from Manuel Neuer. But still, like, they were missing their key cog in defence, which is Cesar Aspilicueta. Uh, like, he was like the only defender in Chelsea who, have been, who has been consistently performing throughout the season. So when you uh, take him out of the team, then this Chelsea defense is like even worse than mid-table. Uh, with no, I don't want to uh, like disrespect the professional players, but they're just terrible. Uh, so that is that. Emerson was like uh, in that goal. Uh, I think Lewandowski's header, in which Emerson was like just standing behind him, watching how the ball reaches his head, so he can head it in. So that is you don't do mistakes of that kind on professional level. Yeah, it was an absolute overhaul by Bayern Munich in defence, midfield and attack. Like, Bayern Munich's attack is a free-flowing attack with Gnabry and Perisic and Lewandowski. They flow, they move everywhere on the pitch and the support they have from the midfield is just exceptional with Thomas Müller always looking for Lewandowski and his darting runs along with Serge Gnabry moving in, cutting inside, getting in half spaces. And then the defense was just brilliant with their distribution and cool and calm and collectiveness when they had the ball playing with the high line and have also having support from Manuel Neuer, which, I mean, he did make a mistake, but let's be honest, it was, he couldn't have done much in it. So, Van Munich were clearly just the better team by far. Probably the favorites to win the Champions League too. Yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair, they just they just completely overwhelmed Chelsea's defense, and I think that also kind of owed to how Emerson performed in this game, which was simply put dog shit. Uh, he did not go for the ball, he did not defend, he was not marking. It was just such lazy play that you you just wanted him off the pitch, and not having Aspilicueta in that instance is something that definitely hurt Chelsea. Um, I, I, I think we we have to address the elephant in the room when we're talking about this match. The man who had contributes to seven goals in this fixture, Lewandowski. How good was he? He was just exceptional with his movement and, and his passing. He just he just is a complete striker. He he's a threat in the air. He comes back, helps the midfield out, uh, distributes the ball to the wingers. He makes uh, runs behind the defenders, and he's just so clinical. That he he won the penalty, he assisted one, and then he uh, jumped for and scored the header, which was the last goal of the match. And he was just exceptional in both ties, with his movement and passing and everything else said before. All right, I think in these quarterfinals, we uh, round of sixteen matches. Beg your pardon. We saw like I think that the top three players in Europe for me this season have been Kevin De Bruyne, Leo Messi, and Robert Lewandowski. And all three of them performed exceptionally well and showed that why they are being considered as the top three players in Europe. They All three of them took their teams to the uh, next round. And I think that it would be interesting to see the battle for European dominance in the future. 
Absolutely, I, I think that's something that's a very interesting brewing up, and uh, I think Lewandowski was just exceptional in how clinical he was with his finishing, and also with the runs that he takes. Like it is, it is often a very underappreciated aspect of Lewandowski, but he makes those perfect runs where he's not offside but gets in behind all the defenders. I think that was the first goal where you could see him just making an absolutely point perfect run where he was not offside and he got in behind the entire Chelsea defense easy shot on goal and scored I think this is the brilliance of Bayern Munich in capitalizing on those chances and making those runs with a free attack that that just is that just makes them an absolute threat in attacking which I, I don't think many teams would be able to counter so yeah I, I, I think there's there's not a lot to talk about this match it was a complete whitewash uh, Chelsea were, of course, without uh, two of their marquee players, Pulisic and Aspilicueta. Uh, and it, it definitely did put pressure on the team. And you could see it in the game. It, it was youngsters trying to win the ball, score. And yeah, it, it, it was just not, it just didn't look like a game that they'd win. I think we can move on to the... Again, yeah. uh, just one thing that I would like to point out, we do need to mention one positive for Chelsea which was Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think that he was uh, like the silver lining in the dark cloud of Chelsea. He was like brilliant throughout the game. He also had that one brilliant goal, which was like overturned, unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, I think that Callum Hudson-Odoi would give uh, great competition to all the star signings that Chelsea, uh, that would join Chelsea next season. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's an important point to make, especially with the idea of rotation and having so many matches. It just becomes so important to have a strong second winger uh, as a substitute, as we have seen because of even injuries, fatigue, rest. There are so many... Uh, the, the calendar is just so stacked for these top teams playing Champions League and uh, the local cups that rotation is an important part. And having someone like Callum Hudson-Odoi who, who is starting to actually develop into a good winger is going to be important for Chelsea in the coming season. But 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 I think uh, we can kind of now move on to the uh, last match of the day. Just uh, one last thing I'd like to add that uh, with his two goals, Lewandowski is the first player to score 13 goals in the UCL. That is not Ronaldo or Messi. And with that, he also becomes the fourth highest uh, UCL scorer. With uh, five yeah. goals to go, uh, and he'll over overtake Raul as well. Great, great! Like that was brilliant, a brilliant statistic. Robert Lewandowski this season has been like nothing short of phenomenal. Absolutely, you all you could almost believe that he was robbed of the Ballon d'Or this season, but that's a discussion for another day. Moving on to the next game, which is Barcelona Napoli. A 3-1 win for Barcelona. What did we think about that game? Honestly, the way Napoli were playing, the scoreline doesn't do justice to them. Napoli started getting their chances early into the game with uh, Mertens just just scoring uh, in the fourth minute of the game when he hit the uh, woodwork of the goal. After that, uh, they didn't create as many chances, but their defense was solid. Their mid was solid. Their, uh, they keep uh, kept position as well. They weren't lacking in position and after some time Clement uh, Longley didn't fail to score as he scored from a corner which was again uh, controversial as some people think it was a foul that he scored on but some people do not. Anyway, we cannot say that uh, Barca do not deserve these three goals as they worked hard for them. 
especially that messi goal where he uh, cut through all of the napoli napoli's defense and uh, still scored he almost fell down he could have gone for a penalty but he decided to stay up and he scored a wonderful goal that is arguably the goal of the week and otherwise barca were barca weren't as clearly dominant in the game and napoli uh, as we can see by the statistics barca only took seven shots at goal they scored three uh, three of them on the other hand napoli took 18 shots but could only score once and that uh, that two through a penalty which was given in the first half itself so i cannot say that napoli weren't trying they came into the game like they wanted to win the match but again this is barcelona we are talking about a club that does not give up easy and they showed it that they were better uh, and of course they had lionel messi the one player who can overturn ties by himself and he did that even the penalty he scored the goal that was enough to make them go through he even took the corner for clement langley uh, clement longley which means that other than gabriel jesus and lewandowski he is also the player who had the contribution to all the goals of this match right so as rakshit said like if leo messi decides to play like this then only so much that opposition can do he like completely took the game away from napoli in the first half itself uh, in the second half i think like napoli were uh, better uh, they were like more decisive Uh, they put a lot of great crosses in the box, and some of which should have been uh, hidden, but unfortunately they were not. And thus, uh, Napoli had to pay the price by elimination in the round of 16. I think for Barcelona, uh, for from Barcelona's point of view, it was Leo Messi, Frankie De Jong, and others. Uh, those two were like the star performers for them. Uh, Frankie De Jong was like I think that he was brilliant. He was just as great as Leo Messi, if not better. he was taking the ball from defense to attack such with so much grace and smoothness you wouldn't think that this was like his first game after uh, after a, the return from injury in a long time so yeah kudos to him yeah absolutely i, I think uh, de jong provided a lot to uh, strengthen barca's defense and e- even even the areas of midfield that he kind of got to uh, got possession and kind of provided an option to the def- uh, midfielders and defenders even if he wasn't directly passed to uh but yeah i mean th- something that is definitely evident from the entire game is leo messi's brilliance and and the way he can just single-handedly dominate a game by just running through everyone in the defense as we saw in the second goal he just he got down got up and just ran through everyone and scored that's that's just the kind of brilliant moments that you see when messi starts playing on his best and i think that's that's going to be a very scary sight coming into their next matchup which is definitely going to be interesting with bayern and uh, and i think that's something to look out for uh, but i think otherwise uh, i i just saw i think in the second half at least Barcelona lacking a lot in their attack apart from Lionel Messi uh, with him kind of isolated and creating the chances on his own I, i i did not see Barcelona threaten Napoli as much and uh, like Napoli just failed to capitalize on a lot of chances uh, an easy one to Chucky Lozano that probably should have been finished and was also left in the late minutes of the game so uh, i just feel like the scoreline does not reflect how well uh, napoli played especially in the second half which was i i feel like mostly napoli dominated because barcelona just didn't seem to be in the game it was just finishing that was clearly lacking from the napoli side i i agree with abe here as barcelona left quite a, uh, all of their momentum in the second half they even made their 
academy graduate Muncho may uh, make his senior appearance for the club in a UCL tie against Napoli. In the second half, we saw uh, what Matteo Politano score a header, but it was just offside by the VAR, and uh, hence their second goal was cancelled. But again, Lozano got an easy chance. He missed it, and that's Napoli's fault that they couldn't capitalize on their chances. So Barca looked like they were having fun, and they were mostly trying to save Messi from another injury, as we saw. Kulibali uh, hitting him quite hard on his foot, which could have led to an injury and which could have made Barca be in a great deal of uh, terror because their next match is with Bayern. They've, they've already won against Napoli. And without Leo Messi, we have seen Barca suffering quite a lot, even in the league. So I think Barca lost their momentum. Napoli couldn't capitalize on it. And this goal really doesn't do justice to the game itself. Uh, I think that Rakshit is bang on here. About the Barcelona attack lacking in the second half, I think that we should not look much into it because I don't think that they were even trying. They were just looking to contain Napoli and that's it. Uh, but one thing that is important is that how easily Barcelona were letting Napoli cross in the balls in their box. Uh, Napoli's heading was bad in this game, but it would not be the case against Bayern. Like Lewandowski would bury those crosses. Uh, so, yeah. So, so would they Muller. do need to... Uh, exactly. So they need to like Barcelona need to work on it. Uh, if they do allow, if they do give a defensive performance against Bayern that they gave against Napoli in the second half, then they were like they are like in for letting at least three to four goals. Yeah, I I think that's a very interesting point. How easy it was for Napoli to just kind of go through the wings and push in uh, crosses after crosses and kind of penetrate the Barcelona defense. Uh, well, I, I think we all would have kind of loved to see Manolas provide another upset to Barcelona. You know, just would have been cherry on the topping for at least Real Madrid fans who saw their team get knocked out and just brings pleasure to them that their rival does as well. But it is going to be an interesting tie, to say the least, uh, uh, in the quarterfinals with... Uh, the Malo- with the Manolas point, an interesting thing happened in the match. Like, Leo Messi refused to shake hands with Manolas. <laughs> so, like, he is still hurt by that Roma thing. Uh, so, yeah, just thought that should mention that. <laughs> oh, no, of course. A, a quite interesting bit to mention that that you wouldn't normally notice or see while seeing the match and it's just something that is very interesting because yes they, they, it, it kind of also goes on to show that they still kind of are not over that defeat as in it just happened uh, it, it was just such an amazing match in itself that it, it, it still kind of takes a toll on Barcelona I think but uh, moving on I, I, I just feel like uh, wrapping it up uh, it's definitely uh, a good result for Barcelona. Seeing Messi perform at its best is good football that any fan should be happy to watch. And it's just going to make things that much more interesting when we move on to the quarterfinals with Barcelona facing off against Bayern, which is going to be an absolute banger of a match. Right. Also, the high in spirits Leon against City. Uh, I don't think so that we can, we should like count Leon out just yet, uh, just because of City's like uh, record uh, in the past three UCLs. So yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's still going to be an interesting matchup because Leon did prove their metal even against Juventus, uh, surprising them in the first leg. And and I think yeah, uh, Leon does have the potential to cause an upset. 
but we'll see what happens if Manchester City play as brilliantly as they did. There's, there's no chance Leon comes close to stopping them. I think that kind of covers uh, the round of 16 analysis that we provided our thoughts on. And yep, uh, stay tuned for further uh, previews and predictions and match analysis of the UCL further stages group stages as they're all going to be wrapped up in august and we'll be putting out a couple of more podcasts on the on the same ucl group stages covering the matches uh letting you know the, how the match went how the teams line up uh, who who's probably on the stronger side and that's going to make for some interesting podcasts in the future uh, stay tuned uh, at the Turf Football Podcast. Follow us on Spotify and these various other channels that we have linked in the description below. Uh, if you have any thoughts about any of the matches, do let us know in the comment section or just messages on Instagram or our page. Uh, there are several ways to contact us. And if you do want to join our community, be sure to add the Discord link that is provided on the website and in the description as well. Thanks for joining us. This was the Turf Football Podcast. Peace out.